Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. another episode of Securing Bridges. I'm Alyssa Miller, and as you can see, I'm back on the road again. Uh, coming to you live from sunny New York. Believe it or not, it is actually sunny today. It's gorgeous here. Um, so here we are, Securing Bridges. You know the show. We talk all about how do we bridge between business and say maybe that, that software engineering organization or whatever our core competency is and our security team. Trying to make those conversations happen and draw business value from the things that we're doing in security. And so this week, I have a super cool guest. I, You know what? I, this just seemed like so perfect. If we're going to talk about how we bridge the gap between security and developers, I thought getting someone in here from Sneak would be great. So here he is with me today. It's Simon Maple. Hey, Simon, how are you? Hey, Alyssa. I'm doing really, really well. And it's an absolute pleasure to, to do a podcast with you. So I'm really excited for the next however long this is to, to chat with you through this. <laughs> We'll go 35, 40. I, yeah. You're right. We, I, we didn't really tell you that beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> hours or hours, days, minutes? What are we What are we looking at here? 30, 35, 40 minutes. Minutes. Um, minutes. I wouldn't okay, for 45 days, but I would get, <laughs> I would get tired. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm, sorry, folks. Yeah, we do talk a little bit before we go live. But, Simon, um, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself a little bit? Um, I mean, I mentioned you work for Sneak, but, uh, you know, share a little bit more with us about what it is you do. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, like you said, my background is is kind of like engineering, and and when you're talking about bridging to developers, I think is you know great that you involve people from the engineering side. So, so my background the last twenty years or so in engineering teams, being a developer in in large enterprise organizations to developer advocacy and, and community. Um, I, I've been at Sneak now for around four years, and and running the DevRel team and the community teams. And I've moved into a field CTO role, which which kind of, it was one of those roles where you think, what, what is that role? I've never heard of that role before. It's a fairly new role, which um, I would probably say over the last few years has, has is picking up speed a little bit, but it's it's really about looking at the market, looking at how uh, people are um, dealing with a technology or, or a practice or process. So for example, obviously I'm working for a security company. So um, yeah, looking at how developers and security are, are working together, how what the best practices are, what the pitfalls are, and really learning from others and sharing that knowledge across uh, many of our customers and other folks in the community that we chat with. Awesome. So one of the reasons, and for the benefit of our viewers, of course, that I thought sneak, getting sneak in here would be really good. Um, so first of all, full disclosure, those of you that don't know me, I used to work at sneak. In fact, actually, I worked with Simon 
no, he was like smart enough to hire me. hundred <laughs> percent, absolutely. <laughs> I gotta give myself a little, you know. I, seriously, the reason I, I thought Snake would be great is because one of the key marketing messages, or at least it was at the time when I was there, was this idea of developer first focus. And so when we were talking about security, and the conversation was really. How do we how do we focus more on the developers? And so when we start talking securing bridges, I thought, hey, this would be a great great way to look at things because honestly, it, it is something that I, I think is an important way to look at just how do we build security tooling and how do we get developers to adopt them? Is that so? Let's start off. With, I mean, is that still the message and is that still kind of the the mission of Sneak? And and if so, I mean, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, and it absolutely is, and it's it's one thing that has never wavered at Sneak, and um, even in some of our um, when when we introduce Sneak in a lot of in a lot of places now, we actually show a slide that Guypo, uh, one of our founders, was one of the first slides that he always used to show people six seven years ago when Sneak was founded, and it it pretty much carries the same message that we that we share today, which is, you know, ultimately the way to scale security in a modern deployment and in, in, in modern development workflows is through developers. You need developers to take the responsibility and to take the ownership of the security of their code. And we're not at this point saying they need anyone needs to be a security expert in the dev team. It's 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 a but it is important to have developers being able to develop securely and and secure development and security are two vastly different things. Um, developers tend not to care about the depths of security, but they do care about a secure development process that allows them to develop. Uh, their code in a secure way while still being able to do what they consider to be their core job of actually delivering software um, fast. So yeah, it is absolutely kind of like one of our core mantras that security is, is, is a tool for developers. You know, there, there are, there are ways in which developers can take that easy path, which is also the secure path. And it's a sneak mission to say, right, we want to enable you and empower you as much as we can with the tooling. It's not all about tooling, of course, but um, we want to, you know, that's the kind of piece that we, that we can contribute. And that, that's, that's what we want to empower developers with. So yeah, for sure. That's, that's continued to be our message. And I'm sure it will always be our message of developer security. So as you're looking at the marketplace, then, I mean, obviously, you know, being working for a vendor, you, you kind of look at the marketplace with an eye for where are people headed? What are the trends? Like, what can we do next? What are you seeing? I mean, is there kind of a trend that you're seeing as because I mean, push left, that's a, that's something we've been talking about as far back as I can remember. Right. Mm. I mean, as far as my tech career goes back to when I was a developer, we were talking about push left with security and quality. And so what are you seeing that is new or different right now that either security is getting right or security is getting wrong still? Yeah. And I think so. So I think there's when we say like, you know, anything shift left, push left, all, all that kind of thing is exactly what, what you know what you said it's a it's a technique which is t tried and tested from many many years ago predates a you know the, some of the more modern continuous delivery cicd devops kind of spaces this is this is something which was waterfall like in in its space and and i remember when i you know left university in the early 2000s and joined my first company and i would our delivery pipelines, well, not pipelines, but our, our delivery cycles were between one to two years, 
right? And and when we talk about pushing something left or shifting something left at that stage, it was something that would benefit us by months. Um, and it was an efficiency play. And this is really important for us to kind of like recognize the difference between that and what we're trying to do with security, which while we do want to do things earlier in the process, we're not thinking about an efficiency play where we're trying to shift huge amounts, um, you know, save ourselves months by getting that early feedback. It's equally about the change of responsibility. I think a lot of people get that right and a lot of people get that wrong. There's, there's a big mix there, I think, in in that changing of the culture and just shifting something left or doing something at a different time isn't necessarily changing the culture, just changing the time as to when you do something. So. I'd say the change in culture is that giving the developer the um, the the ownership, and that means the developer, you know, runs with the tools they want. They run they run uh, when they want. They're not mandated to run at a specific time. If they want to run in IDE, if they run a run a run in CI, that that's the way the team wants to do it. And I think um, rather than the kind of traditional auditor style of giving developers audits and, and reports that they need to go through it's it's about providing them with those kind of like um that you know those developer style tools and that's that's one of the core areas that we need to shift a mentality from and to and i guess from my point of view that's important as a as you know working for a vendor um but but i think you know that, that that's a core thing um there i feel i feel like one of the other things which we from a cultural point of view have to really address is this mechanism in which we kind of collaborate with each other from a sec to a dev like you know you know joining those bridge you know building that bridge between security and development and i think one of the core things there is security and devs just plain don't have enough empathy for each other and i think this is this is common across like most places that that we uh, that you know we talk to and i think having having security teams recognize what the issues are that the developers are having, having the developers recognize it from the risk point of view and actually coming together on some shared goals. This is If we don't have these shared goals, which Dev and Sec are both working towards, and then security in that, in that respect aren't blocking the development team. They're actually helping them to achieve those shared goals with, with the security team. Th those are some of the really core um, shifts that, um, that we're seeing. So I would say, um, you know, culturally, um, and and tooling are, are really important um, trends that we're seeing in the market. One other trend, and I, you know, this is this is an interesting one. What, our betting is there's a lot pushing over to a, to the to the app sec and to the developers here. But where we look at the way the application is changing, where we see obviously a cloud aspect as well as as well as you know first party code, third party code aspect. So in terms of cloud security, container security, IAC, all that, all outside, there's, there's an interesting shift happening that we can see where some we see is kind of like moving more into the cloud security team. Others are moving more into the AppSec team and moving into the development team. So identifying where that's going to kind of go in, in future is going to be interesting. But um, we do see a trend with the code, which always ends up in git workflows or, or developer workflows so that's an interesting trend that we're seeing um you know more fitting into an app sec flow but yeah as the app changes it's going to be interesting to see how the security uh, follows it yeah this is so this is kind of cool because a lot of what you said is kind of reminiscent a couple weeks ago we had a guest on here julius olgafer was on and one of the things she talked about was the idea of a security empowered culture 
Mm. And I thought that that kind of matches up to what you were saying, where you're talking about, you know, put these tools in the hands of the devs. And then, you know, you, you kind of, you touched on something that's real pet peeve for me. And that's that idea of what does shared responsibility really mean? Because there's too many, in my opinion, security people running around saying, yeah, shared responsibility means everybody's responsible for security. Well, yeah, but it means more than that because now security, as you kind of mentioned, you have to take on some responsibility for how do we make development and deployment more efficient. Mm. And so I, I think that that's, you're seeing where we're starting to shift that way and, and hearing that that's kind of a trend, whether it's necessity or innovation that's driving that is a good sign. Mm. Are there specific things that you're seeing organizations start to dig into that are maybe different ways they're building their security program or how they're addressing that to kind of create that additional culture? I mean, I think there's two things that I would say. Uh, I, I'd go, I'll go one into process, but I want to kind of like start in culture. And I think um, there are a few ways in which the cultural, um, the, the ways organizations are trying to address this cultural shift that they know they need to, you know, do to break down those silos between dev and sec. Um, I, I can't, I, I, you know, it'd be a miss to, to, to not mention security champions programs here and, and, and uh, programs or ways in which devs and sec teams can can engage uh, security guilds is, uh, and, and you know there might be some like slight naming overlap here but security guilds is another way uh, security focus teams whereby you know you, you focus on a single problem and you pull different people in from different areas of the organization to fix that problem and it's a short-term focus group just based on fixing a, a certain problem um, I'm a massive fan of security champions done a lot of research into how they've worked effectively how they sometimes don't work um and, and identifying what what those patterns are but just the the understanding and the recognition of you know what devs need to do what devs want to do and then the security team kind of stepping in to help and assist them to actually achieve that is extremely important but i'd say one area that is is um key to almost the success of this and developer adoption those kind of things in general is the understanding from the organization enough enough um uh, empowerment from the leadership team to be able to say security is important to our business and we're not just going to say that we want our engineering teams to be able to dedicate time to do that we know that if we just say sure this is important but we're not actually going to give you the time or give you the the things you need to to actually perform your tasks successfully to actually achieve that goal it's going to be one of those things that developers are going to say yeah I've got a million things on my list that I'm not going to get to, and that's going to be one of them. So having your leadership team um, actually add uh, these requirements and say, look, if you want to do security, you know, we want a security champion to add 10% of their role or have 10% of their role dedicated to security tasks, security aspects that then empowers the developer to say, look, I'm going to spend 10% of my time improving this pipeline, improving this process, adding this new thing in uh, to the way we do our workflows or um, doing some triaging on us on our uh, vulnerability uh, backlog with the security team. All of these things take time. And I think it's really core for that leadership team to step in um, to, to, to do that. Um, the second thing I was just going to mention is 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 process because I think you know the the I think you nailed it when you said you know the security team need to make it easier for the dev team and it's all about fitting into the dev process. If it's not exist, if it's not 
if, it, if it's pulling the developers away from the dev process and the dev workflow, they'll find a way to ignore it or they'll find a way to step away from that. So how can we add security in their existing processes? How do we add the right automations and, and, and you know, add, add things in the where they want to, where they expect it to happen. If they're C, huge CI users, add it in CI. If they love GitHub checks or Bitbucket pipes or GitHub actions, add it there where they expect it and where they want to uh, want to see it. Yeah, I can't remember if it was, it might have even been somebody I saw on Geipo's uh, podcast at one point, but I, I picked up a term and, and I think it fits here. It's that idea of meeting them where they live, right? Mm -hmm. Like and we know our engineers, they live in places like GitHub and ADO and, and CircleCI or other tools that they're leveraging as part of their pipeline. And so where we can, you know, DevOps is obviously about more than just automation. But that is an important component. We had that comment that was up there from someone on LinkedIn about you know, security. We often get pushed out of this because devs don't want to deal with us because we're the department of no or, you know, we're, we're the ones that kind of come to the party and ruin everything. And, you know, so I think and, and correct me if you, you think I'm wrong here, but I think like being able to come with that that type of integration where instead of shoving a security tool at our engineers and saying, here, use this. We come with a tool that says, here, we want to plug this into what you've already built. Yeah. So is that kind of the focus that you're taking with that? Absolutely. I think there are a couple of ways to, a couple of important considerations to make here. Number one is just exactly what you said. Like if, if the engineers want checks in GitHub, or Bitbucket or Azure DevOps or Azure repos, wherever, wherever they're, whatever they're using, wherever they need it, it needs to integrate with that. The second thing, and I think this is a really important thing is, you know, not to be that department of no, right? Which I think is a, an unfortunate um, term to, to, that was uh, kind of given to the security groups. But the way to, the way, the way to avoid that is not by changing everything and blocking your dev groups and and annoying them by now adding these million steps in that they need to to make because that is really going to make a developer push back so when you add these processes it's really important to be no or low touch in terms of what you've added to that pipeline what you've added to that process because you can't go from zero to 100 mile an hour instantly right it's about it's about going at the speed at which your team's can adjust to the change and 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 uh, educate your teams at uh, at the pace in which you're 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 adding these um, processes in. So that's one thing. And the second thing I'd say is also don't cons don't assume just because one team can in you, even in your organization, even in your department, even just because one team can adopt security practices at a certain pace, that every single team can do exactly the same thing and want to consume it in the same way. So treat every team differently. Maybe you can group some up. Uh, that that act similarly or want to uh, you know their maybe their technology maturity their their security maturity DevSecOps maturity is similar and that's really really important so yeah start with that low touch so maybe it, let's say we're adding pull request checks in as a good example right we don't want to block anything initially right unless you know th th there are there is a space that we want to get to which may include blocking may not include blocking but we don't want to block anything initially we want we want you know as many checks as what they've got today we can test we can show the visibility we can report that's great but we don't want to block anything because then we're slowing down developers we don't want to regress the developer workflow and then slowly add that education into okay what do we want to do first of all well maybe we stop um 
developers adding really critical, highly exploitable issues that have fixes in or something, you know, we look at the, the, the most critical, most problematic issues. And then we actually start educating in terms of, okay, how can we find this early? How can we fix? What information tooling do we have available? And, and do developers have enough information that they can actually do that very, very quickly? And then we use this tooling more now as a governance model. And it's like, okay, how, do we, how can we see when the guardrails, which we as a security team can put in, um, is not being followed by the developers? And what is the problem? And how can we address that problem? Uh, and and that's, that's the model that we need. And you will see, based on what is coming through the pipeline and what is still not being fixed or not being um, worked on, okay, we, d you know, don't consider the fact that you need to block it as the, as the solution. What is missing earlier on? Why is a developer not doing that? Why is a developer not testing? What is a developer not, uh, why is a developer not reacting to the results? That, that's the kind of more of the mindset. And you build up and dial up what the security guardrails need to be for those projects. And it'll, it'll be different per project, most likely, or, or you know, based on the criticality, based on what it's, the apps and services are serving. Uh, but that, that's a really important piece to the, um, you know, not just having it, having these solutions where you want them, but for the adoption and for that, for the developers to really be on board, it has to serve their purpose. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting because it kind of speaks to how the maturity of your security program ties into the maturity of your DevOps program. It, it, it's kind of funny because you mentioned the blocking and then, you know, that concept of breaking the build, right? And so I look at my organization and, and unfortunately we've kind of conditioned, you know, I, first of all, I've got an organization of engineers that are amazing. Like they actually really kind of, they buy into security, whether or not they like it, you know, is another question, but, but they do a lot of the things. And when we look at our DevOps pipeline, like they're trying to automate and they are trying to automate things like breaking the build. And I'm, it was actually surprising to them when I was standing there telling them, no, 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 don't break the build. You know, let's, you, you, you can put that in as like a catch-all and like the worst case scenario, but how do we get to a more mature state where breaking the build isn't the thing that we have to do? And I think one of those things, and, and let me know what you think of this idea, but I think as your CICD, you get closer to that world of CICD and become more mature toward that end, and now you know that you can release faster and faster and faster, that almost enables you to move away from breaking the build or having other gates like that, because now you've got that option of, well, I can deploy now, fix in the next cycle. Is that, are you seeing that happen or? Yeah, no, and I think, you know, there are, uh, so first of all, I think breaking the build, sometimes there are such critical services um that you just you just want to make sure that there are absolutely no particular types of vulnerabilities or or even you know severity or, or or priority scores on these vulnerabilities you just don't want them to be anywhere near your production environment and i think a lot of the time we want all of our servers to kind of like be in that category when realistically they're not and and i think it's about it, it, there's always a balance between that risk mitigation real risk mitigation and um, and and our innovation and speed of delivery, and I think there is absolutely a balance there in, in terms of okay, if we put a, if we put a specific type of vulnerability into into our production environment, what's the what's the risk of that, and what's the what's what's the kind of realistic speeds that we want to eliminate that from our from our um, environment? I think that's we we do see some of that, but I think 
one of the real I, I see that almost as I don't want to say a failure in the shift left, but I, I see it as a way whereby there might be bigger reasons as to why something like that couldn't be solved earlier. There might be architectural reasons or, or you know, uh, problems with, um, you know, the way some of the dependencies are structured and, and things like that. I get that. And there are some times where you just think, you know what, we need to get this out. And, and these we have done some risk analysis and we don't believe this to really be a very, very severe thing. We've probably got other things in production, which are maybe more severe that we need to work on as well, but you know, this isn't going to make anything that much worse. So that's, that's a risk that we're willing to take. Um, I, I kind of like sometimes think, okay, what is the, what are we missing earlier on that can actually stop that from even becoming a build break? Um, when we think about our mentality of a CI/CD pipeline, we very often rely too much on 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 the kind of like the CI part of that in terms of we run all our tests in CI, and you know a lot of people who who kind of like did much much more security on the further furthest right and more in the runtime and places like that they see CI as a very left step, but um, it's it's not. There are obviously far far other many other places whereby developers they're coding, developers they're building locally or checking in or, or, or doing a push into their local branch or whatever. There are so many places that these kind of things can can be tested and be fixed before that are actually so much cheaper for a developer to to spend their time doing that. And I think there's an education there's an education and mindset that we need to do there. Like if you compare it with quality and I always think, you know, security is just another type of quality test. It's exactly the same thing. We care about the quality of our code, which contains a huge number of different types of tests, security being one. And I think, you know, when I when I joined IBM years ago, we had dev teams. I joined as a tester originally, so I was I was a functional tester, and I we had test phases that I would write code in. And of course, we tested way after the the the, the devs at the time would write their would write their tests. And you know, we matured as an organization and as teams to actually pull that in. And it took time. It took years to really educate and 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 add that testing in so that I would run a build locally, I'd run my unit tests, I'll kick off my integration tests so that when I actually push that through the pipeline, it's not going to break the build because you didn't want to be that person that broke the build. And, and I think adding that um, mentality into the developer so that they are, it's a natural part of development, that's, that's more the model that we need to be. So I think, yeah, there's a, there's a mix. And I think a couple of ways in which to, to think about it probably at the same time to be able to say, you know what, sometimes it's okay to actually push things into production if that's, you know, low serve, we've done risk mitigation and we feel like it's okay with an SLA to, to fix this within 30 days or 10 days or a week or whatever, depending on the severity. Um, but yeah, we also need to look further in terms of why, how did it get to this stage? How did we get here? Uh, but yeah, interesting, it, it, interesting cultural changes as well as process changes there that need to be uh, addressed. Well, you had mentioned governance before, right? And I think that's where governance becomes a key piece of this is how do we measure it? And even what should we be measuring or what should we be looking at? Because, you know, it's great to sit there and we can count volumes or we can count how many vulnerabilities we fixed or, you know, whatever. But that, that those measures kind of by themselves just feel a little thin. Mm. So as you're looking at that, you're trying to really gauge, okay, Maybe things aren't going the way we had hoped and we want to search why are our engineers not fixing these things sooner? What are what are some of the things that you're digging into there? Where are you looking to start to try to uncover some of that? Yeah, I mean I I love behavioral measures um rather than 
more operational measures in terms of what's the absolute number of vulnerabilities we have because we know you know that's going to go down when we have time to fix that's going to go up when we deliver huge amounts of code right and so it's like you know one team might look great and another team might look bad but actually one team is is has fixed one vulnerability another team has added a couple more but they've just doubled their code base size and so what you know what what are we actually expecting here from from the different teams and i think so yeah it's your point and i know the paper that you wrote was excellent in terms of having those yeah 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 you i remember i remember that paper you wrote um in terms of (laughs) in in terms of the the almost like the relationships between numbers so recognizing that um you know as something happens like as number of commits number of pull requests etc happens yes you you should expect something to happen to the to the vulnerability number which may not go down it might it might jump up a little bit but it might it, it might stay even and 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 it means different things I love, like I say, the um, more behavioral uh, metrics. So I love the idea of being able to say, um, in fact, I'll go back to one of the things I mentioned with the security champions programs. I I spoke with a number of different organizations that do SEC champions programs. And one of the core um, things which a number of teams did very, very well was scorecards. And when when a when a, a team when a developer became a security champion, what they did was they said, okay, let's fill out this scorecard uh, initially, and you can almost like self-assess what you're doing, how you're doing it. And I think that's great for the developer to self-assess or the team to self-assess. And then once they've done that, okay, the next the next thing is okay what do you want to improve what do you what is the most painful thing from your team that we can help we as a security team can help with and being able to almost um you know our core goal as security organizations or as businesses is is to make sure we were better at security now we've improved our security posture more today than we than we were yesterday we're we're getting better that's our goal right and so one of the great ways of being able to do that is say well, actually, do you know what? Our behavior is changing. Our, our The way we are looking at this, the way we're addressing this is changing. And we can show this month over month, quarter over quarter, and you can see the areas which we're digging into. And I think metrics and things which we can look at could actually be behavioral as well. What is the average time for us when we introduce a vulnerability to fix it? Uh, what are the types of vulnerabilities that we're most interested in? Can we bring that specific type of vulnerability down? Or is there an education that we can introduce that will actually perform that, you know, the right behavior that we want based on on the areas of threat that we have? So for me, those are those are the very, very interesting areas. And I think um Patrick Dubois, um, uh, of course, the famed uh, DevOps, uh, um, godfather of DevOps, I think they once called him, or father of DevOps. Um, one of the things that Patrick once uh, did some uh, interesting work around is this is this kind of like nine, not you know, the three nines, four nines, five nines model that we tend to use more for a reliability or an uptime style um, model. He, one of the things that he was interested in there is based on our behavior, if we start at a hundred, how low do those? How low does that get based on, uh, you know, if we if our mean time to remediate or if you know is it drops below a certain SLA or something like that, then you know pieces drop and and we almost like rank our behavior over time based on the number of nine. So there are some interesting ways that I, I think that can be um, that are much better um, and much much more realistic to what's happening in the organization than just operational operational metrics. So can those metrics as we build those, I mean, obviously we typically think of metrics as, okay, I can use this to measure success or whatnot, but now what you're talking, especially, you know, you're talking about what, what Patrick's done or, or even just in general sense when you think about metrics, 
can that actually help us drive adoption? And like, actually, is there, is there a way that that can actually help encourage rather than being so much of an oversight, yeah. actually make it something that, that's more proactive and motivates engineers? I, I think there are numerous ways in which these kind of things can be done. And one of the things actually that uh, some of the companies that I was speaking with when they do these kind of scorecards is they they tend to have these scorecards per team and they roll up into, into you know, summary style scorecards by department by group by business unit etc cetera, etc cetera. and these are these can be very transparent so um first of all you can see how you're doing compared to other teams you can see how you're doing compared to other departments and things like that and you know developers care they do care about what they do and it's you know they don't want to be a team that is visually on the decline in terms of the trend in certain areas and things like that so i think i think that's very important to be able to show that and, I, and it really pulls out i know some people like gamification some people don't for those who do it, it does pull on those kind of gamification strings in that you know no one no, everyone wants to make sure that what they do is having an impact and, and what they do is moving a needle in some space and and that's that's a, that's an important thing um i think also what they can do which is really important is allow a developer or a development team to be able to say, do you know what? We're, we're going to prioritize security this, you know, over the next few sprints, not entirely dedicate them to security necessarily. I, I, I prefer it to be a part of sprints going forward, but we're going to increase or decrease, you know, based on where that scorecard, how that scorecard is looking. Um, I always think it's okay for your security to go up and down, up and down. If you know about it and if you have reasons behind it because these scorecards are best in my opinion when they're not just security scorecards when they show you know the the health really of of the application in general so you know your typical performance your reliability and all these other you know delivery of features and things like that and so as your security you know is starting to look a little bit rocky or if you want it to just improve it in general uh, in in terms of over time the numbers this gives development teams uh, uh, the ability to say look this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it this is what we want to achieve and it gives it gives them the empowerment to say this is why we're doing it um so i think i think that's very very important but you know there are there are even smaller things that i think can can help that adoption uh, I love the celebrating success. I love the recognition that teams or developers can get from what they've achieved or what they can do. If a developer does something good, um, call them out in the team meeting, call them out in the department meeting or whatever. Uh, uh, make sure there's a way that other development teams or other developers can follow what that person has done. So make sure it's documented maybe or help them to document it. How can we, how can we show other teams the success of this? Uh, if a team has introduced something, Make sure that that's documented. Make sure that's shareable to others that want to achieve the same thing. And of course, you know, this is something which at the broader uh, at the broader level, it needs to come from the engineers. It needs to come from the engineering teams. We can't just have the security team saying, look at this dev, weren't they great? It needs, it needs to come from a, a VP of engineering, a CTO, you know, the, de the director of engineering to say, this is something important to us as a development organization and us as a business. We are recognizing this individual for what they did from the security side. And that carries huge amounts, uh, shouts much more volume and, and, and carries much more water in terms of, you know, a, an accomplishment and encouragement to other developers to do that, knowing they can get that recognition from their own part of the organization. So, yeah, huge amounts of, um, of extra engagement you can get from the dev team through through that and through metrics like like you know you mentioned with scorecards and things like that as well. 
No, that, that that's awesome. And I, I love that we keep tying this. We keep kind of keep coming back to that security champions program mm. in particular. I know you mentioned that you had done a, a considerable amount of research. It's um, there's actually a lot of activity I'm aware of. And in fact, it's, it's the first thing that I'm building as part of my security program now at SP. And you know, it's um, now I know you recently uh, released the Security Champions Playbook at Sneak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're getting also getting close to the end of our time. So I thought one thing I'd like to ask though is, is there something we haven't really covered yet? Or what do you feel is like the, the really important thing that we, you and I haven't talked about yet that people might find in that playbook that they really should be checking out? I mean, what, what's like a, a core concept or something that really is just, if I want to be successful with a security champions program, what should I be looking at? Yeah, I would say, so I think a couple that we've already discussed is um, one is the, that it's, it's great to have that bottom up kind of like um, way of, you know, engage, making sure developers can get engaged in security, but it's really important to have that top down support. So I think having engineering teams as so engineering leads, as well as security leads backing the programming and allow developers having time to do work in those programs is core. Um, the, um, the second thing I was going to mention is scorecards. Allowing score, getting people to do scorecards and self-assess is a great way to allow them to, uh, in their security champions uh, 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 programs or groups, ask them the question, what do you want to do over the next quarter? What do you want to do? What's your goal as a dev team in the next half year? And then group them together with other security champions to be able to say, look, you've all got common goals. Let's work together as a small focus team or a small team to actually work out how we can do accomplish this together. But I think one of the core things which goes without saying for any community, I think, but is really important to talk about in a security champions space is right at the start, we talked about how devs and security very often, they lack empathy for each other. They lack the perspective in terms of each other's opinion, each other's where, where we're coming from. I think one core aspect is when you're building a security champions program, always ask yourself, what's in it for the developer the the developer is your customer there if you're building a program whereby it's you're asking the question what can i get out of it as a security team or how can i benefit as a security team you won't get a security champions program to actually um be enjoyable for developers to actually join you need to think what is the value in the same way as like a community why would a why would a community member join my community what what is the value that they're going to get from this community and that's what when you create your program and create your structure in you know maybe it's monthly calls maybe it's you know weekly maybe it's a uh, education here and there what is it that the developers want because if you can't provide them with the value they will they you know they'll tune out of the of the community so i think at its core that is one of the things which um which we felt uh very passionately about when when you know talking with others and, and hearing very passionately from others uh, about this you know get your developers involved in the program um yeah that, 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 that those are some of the core things for me uh, that that are important Cool. Well, I'm going to highlight one other thing you said in there. You, you kind of just subtly worked it in, but I've actually noticed some people kind of miss this when they think about security champions. That's just that idea of it being a true community. Yeah. Right? Like I, I've seen some organizations where they think about security champions and it's, oh, well, we're just going to train some developers and extra security topics and they're going to be our SMEs within those scrum teams or whatever. 
And I, I think the real value comes in when you actually build that community where these engineers who are, you know, your security experts within those teams are now sharing that information across and they're, they're discussing these topics and learning from each other. And then you, you kind of get that, that community thing going. I think that's like a crucial piece. Oh, hundred percent. And I think it's, you know, it's not a way for security to get a message across. It's not a way for, it's not a forum. Um, it's none of that. It's, it's the ability, you know, you know, you're winning when you get a, when you get a developer, ask a security question and a developer answers. That's, that's when you know you're winning and it's about enabling that. And it's about bringing those folks together. Um, when when you start getting that, you know, you think, okay, let's, let's build on this. Let's work out how we can do this more. Um, but yeah, that, that's, um, it is a community. So it's a, it's, and it's something that as a result needs nurturing. And it's, it's not something that you can just assume if I just push a few things through every month or every couple of weeks, it's going to continue to live. It needs continual nurturing, continual love to make sure, you know, it's, it's giving the developers and giving the teams the value they need. Yeah, and that's that is like the perfect way to end it because you, you mentioned it. You get a, a developer answering a developer on a security question. That's that culture that we start, that we were talking about at the very beginning of the show. And so I think this is the perfect way to wrap it up uh, because yeah, I mean again, I we probably could have gone on for forty five days. Uh, <laughs> things would be important, but no, I, it's been wonderful, Simon. I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, yeah, I, I think it's been a hopefully really impactful for people. I know I've actually learned quite a bit from the the talk today, and uh, hopefully, hopefully all of you out there did too. Um, just a reminder, we'll be back here next week and every week. Um, give it a day or two. We'll have this up on podcast. We are now available on all of the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we're out there. So um, if you don't want to watch the video replays, you can always you know, subscribe to those podcast channels. Uh, next week, we're going to have Andy Ellis on, so that's going to be another super exciting uh, show for those of you that know who Andy is or maybe know him personally. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that conversation too. But this has been an amazing conversation today. So Simon, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I, I will never say no to a chat with you, Alyssa. So uh, yeah, anytime. <laughs> thank you very much for inviting me. Awesome. Terrific. And to all of you, thank you for joining us. That's all the time we've got for today, but uh, we'll see you next week right here on Securing Bridges. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.